Welcome to the Last Alliance University of Alberta Tolkien Society podcast. Join us this year as we venture into Beleriand with the great heroes of the Elder Days and do battle with the Dark Lord Morgoth. We hope you enjoy our discussion of the Silmarillion. Anyway, uh, okay, so if there are no other announcements, then we will proceed. What is it, challenges today? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It is challenges today? Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. We just totally forgot. It's challenges today. Yeah. yeah. Like, I brought, I brought the similar and everything. Right. Okay. So, uh, does anyone have a challenge submission? <laughs> Am I going to... Oh, interesting. Okay. Mine is a pseudo-challenge submission, but I'm going to go with that. We'll take it. I mean, it'd be nice to win, but like, I don't want to win by default again. <laughs> right. I mean, Tristan's going to win by default because you can't have it be marks in a row if there's another challenger. Is that true? Yes. Cool. I love winning by default. It's the only way I've ever won. So that means my screen will never be broken by law. That's <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's true. Anyway, what do you have for us, Nick? Uh, I have the duel between Tolkas and Melkor with comic book sound effects and also some Monty Python I put in. Nice. My goodness. Well done. Yeah, this is like not really serious at all. Don't read it. <laughs> well, if it was serious, it would be like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah this would be great. Yeah. <clears throat> with a mighty boom, the inner gates of Melkor's sanctum were smote and Tolkas charged through the opening. The torches and braziers were blown out by his coming and Melkor took heed from his high throne. Hold yourself accounted, you vile pig dog. Now look here, Melkor began, standing and grabbing his hammer. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food truck wiper. I farted in a general direction. Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. Melkor bellowed with anger and fury, leaping down from his throne. In response, Tolkas felt out a harsh laugh and charged his foe. He savagely punched Melkor in the face with a pow. All the while, never ceasing to laugh in terrible mirth. Melkor roared and brought his hammer down with a bang, blasting a crater into the floor. Is that the best you can do, you small brain wiper of other people's bottoms? Tolkas demanded. He drew Wait, a- if Melkor has a hammer and Tolkas is Thor, so probably also. No, no, no. He's He drove his knee into Melkor's armored gut with a clank, doubling the fallen Vala over in pain. Then, clasping his hands together, Tolkas smashed his opponent's helmet with a gong. As Melkor's head uh, rang like an abused gong, he lashed out by swinging his hammer with a whoosh. Tolkas dodged the strike, then kicked him in the head with a kapow. He quickly <laughs> followed up by tackling Melkor and slamming him against the wall, causing the throne room to quake. His laugh sounding through the halls and pits of Utumno, Tolkas cast Melkor onto his face with a smash. And with that, he who was once the greatest of the Valar was taunted and beaten into submission. That's the end. Nice. So basically just as many comic book sound effects as you could possibly fit in. Yes. I thought, I thought, that, I thought it could use a, it could use a crunch. <laughs> you know. I think what it really needed we could put a was yeah. the good old Batman transition. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get like an app with like the sound effects from the show, but I couldn't find them. Oh, that would be great. I interrupt this challenge submission yes. with uh, the revelation that for today we were only supposed to read chapter 9. <laughs> oh, sweet! Because oh. <laughs> I'm not done chapter so 10. I don't read chapter 10. And for the 6th, chapters 10 and 11. Then after that, it's reading week. And then after that, chapters 12 through 14. Uh, okay. Awesome! So, so next week is 10 and 11. We give you all of reading week to make sure you get through 14. Okay. 
We need it. So uh, that explains a lot. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. You, just, you made my day so much I mean, better. Thank so you. Much in chapter. I know. Yes. I, I was yeah. thinking about that too. I was like, yeah. how are we going to get through all of this? Right. <laughs> yeah, so we can just focus on chapter okay. 10. Okay, excellent. Be reassured. Okay. We can read chapter 10 next week. All right, uh, Tristan. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm taking this very liberally, as it doesn't particularly relate to the Silmarillion. But there was a thing about something funny that happened in book study, and I'm expanding that to other events. So, um, murder mystery happened a few weeks ago, and I assisted by writing a few of the characters and adding in the letter from Dr. Simon White. Now, I started this letter with a line from Hamilton, um, and I didn't stay true to that for the rest of the letter, so I decided that I needed to rewrite it um, in appropriate verse. This said, <clears throat> Dear Sir, I hope this letter finds you in good health and sensible enough to see how flat your protest fell. I was interrupted teaching and what should I see, but you and your pitiful friends waving signs at me. At first, my anger at this fracas burnt white hot, and I think considered calling security on your poor lot. However, a closer examination proved that you and your brother were in a position to be, well, moved. I noticed the policy crossed out on your sign was implemented by a friend of, and colleague of mine. The printed essay policy, I'm sure you'll find, was put into place to prevent plagiarism by your kind. And while protesting anti-cheating measures looks bad, what's worse, you know this measure came down from your dad. So the hypothesis I'm here to posit is such, what would Dr. Akelian do if he knew as much? My guess, and I, know he, and I know you know as well as me, is that he doubtless cut you off financially. So, to prevent such an incident from taking place, here's what you'll have to do to save money and make it face. First, immediately cease all protests, then disband your unofficial club of pests. Second, you shall offer a full apology for your numerous rants on climatology. You've really been nothing short of contrary, and it's well past time you should expect from me. As a token of this comes number three, coffee. Every morning on my podium, no sugar, beet, cream. Last, your undergraduate research topic will be environmentalism's adverse effects on the economy. I know I can count on you to choose right. With utmost sincerity, Dr. S. White. That was really good. Yeah, I think so. Although I think the, the real challenge would be now to combine the two so that your poem includes sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tricky. Have I started a precedent? <laughs> <laughs> All right, wonderful. Wow, this is such a creative group. Okay, so today we're only doing chapter nine of the flight of the Noldor, or as I like to call it, and you think things were bad yesterday. <laughs> is the absolute worst. <laughs> it's true. So we'll go around the circle and something that you liked or want to talk about uh, that grabbed your attention. Go ahead, Nick. We'll go uh, clockwise today. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really enjoyed this chapter. Uh, like, you know, like I say, I really like Feyenoord. And, and when he decides to do something, he commits. You can never accuse him of being fickle. Whenever he, when he decides to do something, he carries it through to the end. No matter any proclamation, any doom, any like arguments or counterpoints, he just does not go back on his position. And that is something to admire in a person. Is it though? Grant, granted, <laughs> granted in this case, it is a bad thing that he commits. But yeah, there was that. And 
I just I really like that that whole episode when when Morgoth and uh, Ungoliant had their split. Um, I just find it you know that led to the whole evil self destructive. And just I find it really interesting how he was totally powerless before her, and the Balrogs had to come and and it's just. Well, it's interesting because he was considered one of the most powerful of the Valar. He couldn't do it, but then Lesser and Maiar, you know, Balrogs, but, you know, like, they were able to kind of drag her back. So I, I just find that whole episode really intriguing. Mm -hmm. And it was a really cool image of just these fiery Balrogs, like, beating back this massive front row to a spider. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shoot, I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> You're making even deeper. <laughs> Get so weary of the whole thing. Yeah, it's like the last part of the. So, like the, the Doom of Mandos or Monway, it's actually textually unclear. Mm -hmm. um, but the part where it's like, you know, like all of the Noldor who are going to Valerian, like either they will be slain yeah. and then wait forever in the halls of Mandos, or they will essentially become like faded shadows of regret in Middle Earth because they've. I don't know if that second fate actually happens to anybody other than Galadriel. Well, it doesn't happen to anyone who's named, but it is just said generally. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. um, She's just the last of the most, you know, like, well-known. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
So that was cool. Nice. <laughs> cool. Good. Robert? Um, finally found a blemish on, on Finrod. <laughs> you know, this is, this is, I think, the only time where he does something kind of rash that mm. is not good. And, you know, he slaughters a bunch of people, presumably. Right. So that's... Even so, Tolkien is so careful. <laughs> <laughs> but they yeah. but they thought the Teleri attacked them first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were just defending their people. Right. Okay, we were a guy. Sherrod <laughs> might not have even been implicated. Theoretically. We don't we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of implied since he was leading the host and then But like, he he still went into battle, battle, so, so. Yeah, no, that was Finn then. I wanna know. Anyway, we'll 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 get to that. But Finrod showed up. Maybe. He did show up. All right, for mine. Yes, yeah. let's continue. Who then. wants to hear the actual oath of Fainor? Oh, I brought that. Oh, yes. Let's, let's wait on that till we get to that part, and then you can. Aww. Read it. <laughs> but now I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so, so the oath of Fainor is really cool. But yeah, the oath, the actual oath of Fainor is amazing. Yeah. It's super hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I would expect. Anyway, so now Josh has to come up with something else. Um. Let's see. Flip to a random page. Boom! 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 boom. Let's find something interesting. Um, Olway really tries to be reasonable. Yes. He tries like so hard to be reasonable with Feanor, and Feanor's yeah. not having any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I really also like the Doom Commandos. It's great. Um, but I have two other observations. One, Fenarfin does not deserve his idiot relatives. <laughs> Poor man's just yeah. trying to do his best. Yeah. He does not deserve this. Yeah. Um, the other is, I really like right at the beginning, where uh, Nina cries over the trees mm. and sees the hurts of Magoli, and she was yeah. really pretty. Yeah. I've been busy and sick all weekend, so I didn't read the chapter, but a couple comments. One, do Noldor have wings? <laughs> <laughs> Two, I just want Morgan Freeman to narrate that. <laughs> yes. And for 20 days and 20 nights, the well, Noldor watched across the... You got, you got the, the paragraph right there. Just yes. narrate it. Yes. 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 That would be... Yeah. We should just, so much just, just do the Noldor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is the burning of the ships at Lascar. I hate it. <laughs> I yeah. loved it and hated it. Right? I loved to hate it's it. Exactly it's exactly It's hauntingly it. beautiful, but sad at the same time. <clears throat> yeah. I think well, the first time I read the Silmarillion, that scene. Yeah, I, boy, there's so, you've all said all the things I want to talk about. I do want to talk about, yeah, we talked about the Doom. When, when we did the uh, Valaquenta, we did not talk about Mandos. We, didn't, we ran out of time. So I think it'd be good to spend a little bit of time talking about Mandos because not only his Doom is really good here, but the moment when Feanor says the first to be slain and Mandos is not the first. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's so good. Mandos just knows things. Yes, it's I, so good. One of my favorite things about this character is that when he doesn't speak often, but when he does, you ought to listen. Mm -hmm. Just like when, when Melian speaks, like when she does speak, you need to listen. She's right. saying something important. Like yeah. just every word out of his mouth carries such a weight to yeah. it. That's one thing yeah. I love about his character. Mm. Alright. I drank that too fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're just gonna start at the beginning touring. and what's that? Too hasty to Exactly. I it's Torin. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. No, you just need to get a new cup with a new name. That's right. I'm going back. Torin Torinbar. <laughs> I was thinking Turinbar. I thought no. <laughs> anyway, okay. So I want to start with Yavanna's speech. Mm. 
the light of the trees has passed away, and I don't know, we should have a, a, a plan. The light of the trees has passed away and lives now only in the Silmarils of Thana. Foresighted was he. Even for those who are mightiest under Iluvatar, there is some work that they may accomplish once and once only. The light of the trees I brought into being, and within Ea I can do so never again. Yet had I but a little of that light, I, would re I could recall life to the trees ere their roots decay. And then our hurt should be healed, and the malice of Melkor be confounded. What do you make of this idea that there's some work that can only be accomplished once? And how would that fit with the idea of sub-creation or Tolkien's idea of creativity? Yeah, Tristan. Well, I mean, it fits less... I wasn't so much thinking on that route, mm -hmm. but it fits with his idea of everything based from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So that... Yeah. The best works are those accomplished best. Okay. Yeah, Nick. Well, and the, it's sort of um, like a, a kind of a counterpoint to Sauron and the One Ring because it, what Sauron gives like so much of himself to the Ring that he is basically nothing without it. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the the good side of that, where she poured so much of herself into these two trees. They brought such light and joy into the world that she can never fully echo that greatness again. She she could try to attempt it, but you know. Her sorrow was too great at the moment, but also she did her like so much of herself was already in those two trees. Okay. Sarah? Um it actually reminds me of like Magician's Nephew, because it's almost like there's an excess of creative power in the world at the beginning. Right? So like yeah. the Magician's Nephew, there's so much power in growing things in the beginning that they accidentally plant a lamppost. <laughs> and they uh, right. That's right. <laughs> right? But that doesn't yeah, yeah, that, right. that's not something that remains in Narnia. It yeah. is over time. Once it's been used up in yeah. creating things, um, and I think it's kind of the same here. There's a certain amount of, of creative potential yeah. in the world, and now it's it's being used up. Like they'll still make nice things, but they'll make it out of what already exists, yeah. what's already in the earth. They're not going to um, create from nothing anymore. Right. Whereas the creation of the light of the trees is a Or the next time I ever study the Silmarillion with a group, which may never happen again. Just, just write down. It's like when they planted the lamp. Yeah, I do, I do. I'm putting lamppost in parentheses. <laughs> so that when I see it 10 years from now, I won't have any idea what it is. <laughs> it's the metaphorical lamppost within all of us. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Jordan, I was going to call you Josh. Unbelievable. <laughs> Your magic powers of memory are also fading. <laughs> uh, I'll take a I was wondering, I was thinking about more in terms of like <clears throat> like artistry instead of uh, like artistry as compared to mechanized like creation. Like it's not something you can replicate um, even to some artistic types, you know. I can do other stuff but I can't you know, I can't recreate something I've already done like I, you'd never be able to do exactly that thing. So I'm not, I'm not sure if she'd be able to make something like the, you know, the trees again, but maybe it's just, you know, creative talent. I, you know, I poured everything I, I wanted to give into that work in the first one, and doing it a second time would just not be the same or even worse. And I, I, I kind of, when I thought about that in comparison to Tolkien's kind of this taste for mechanized, reproduce, you know, reproduce, uh, stuff, which I, 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 if 
like Azul and stuff. And these are the pinnacle of kind of creative artistic works. So he would not like those guys who make old art out of old tires. He would like the guys who do the spray painting on the street in New York. Yeah, I don't know. He'd probably be visual. He'd probably look at that for a while. So he's like, yeah. For me, it's uh, reminiscent of Minway. Minway? <laughs> That's a new one. That was on my Starbucks cup last week. <laughs> is that, Muriel giving birth to Feynor. Is that Muriel uh, and Fenway's ship name? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> They don't take each other's family names, they just combine their names when they get married. Muriel can't have any kids after Feynor. She's put everything, yeah, put everything that she had into the one. Yeah. And boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> okay. Mostly. Yeah, Robert? Um, I think it, it kind of falls into that idea that people might have one magnum opus in, in them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Tolkien experienced this too when he poured his, That's his whole life into this world. Yeah. Anything he tries to do outside of it, he, he keeps on connecting it anyway because he's pulling from stuff. He's like, wait, I've like, used yeah. this stuff before. You know, yes. well, I'll just I'll just copy it because I've already done it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to keep this in mind when we get to Leap by Nickel. Right. Mm. But that's what I was thinking too. That there's a little hint of an autobiography here where he's looking at his own. He's poured so much of himself into this, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to say yes. Like there is this fade from the beginning. Everything is fading from this great. But um, this isn't like the first thing that they're creating. This is something that they always build up to. They hone their craft. Um, the trees were most certainly not Yvonne's first thing. Um, she practiced, if you want to call it that, um, which is interesting. Um, so you would think that you could just like keep improving higher and higher and higher. But it doesn't feel like they've reached like pinnacle and I can go no farther, but they made this and now they don't have the strength to make another one, mm -hmm. which is cool. Which um, kind of contrasts with the other one of those type of things that they talk about in this chapter, um, which is the Teleri ships. Mm -hmm. The Teleri say that it's like Feanor making these Silmarils. Um, this is the greatest thing we've made, we can't make them again. But I feel like there's something different about the ships. Like, I feel like they can be reproduced and they can improve on the ships. Um, it, the way they talk about it, it seems slightly different, which is fascinating to me. I don't know why that is. Sophia? Um, two, two thoughts. First of all, there's like, there's a little bit of like tragedy in the fact that as your skill improves, the raw material you have to work with diminishes, okay. which is why I think
On what? Individuality. Uh, right. Like yeah. he sequestered himself. He didn't yeah. listen to anybody's advice. Melkor claimed that he'd influenced him, but actually he didn't at all. Like Feanor didn't let anyone be involved in the creative process. He didn't let anyone <coughs> touch these things after they were made. Like they're completely his sort of genius and his possessiveness. Whereas there's an emphasis on collectivity with the Telerian ships. Um, that's like just as strong in terms of both the fact that they're ships, they're used by, you need a crew, you need multiple people, they're kind of collective property, but also when always talking about them, he's like, you know, like our men, like, made the timber and carved the ships, and our women wove the sails, and, like, the whole community was involved in the making of these things, um, that was a significant yeah, be interesting. Maybe when we get there again, we'll to the Teleri. We'll talk about that again. I, I mean, this is an interesting theme, right? And I think Nick's onto something too, even with this idea of of pouring yourself into. Like, it raises a question of um, how much of yourself is in your art, right? And what that means in terms of, for example, selling your art or letting your art out into the world to where it's no longer under your power, your control, so to speak. You know, like you know, like I. I so I do a lot of preaching, and preaching is a kind of art form too, right? And every time I preach, it's like, it's out there then, right? Like, I have, to let, I have to kind of let it go in a sense. So that's one thing that's interesting. The other thing too is, I wonder if there's something about it being the first, right? So like an artist who, sure, constantly improves her skill and, and even produces maybe better works, but she always has that, that first one, you know, that she made that, that maybe has that special place that she can never, you can never do the first one again kind of thing, right? Or the breakout one. Or the breakout one, right? Or like, it's not that it's technically first, it's the first one that was like, this is the first one to hit the stratosphere in terms of. Or even, the, even, even, yeah, even the first one where you think, okay, I have, I've sort of found my rhythm, right? Found my, you know, like there's a lot of false starts and then you have that. I, I don't know, I'm not an artist, but. Yeah, there's, that's, so, a, that's a thing. But even a story, right? Like, you write a lot of, people who write have a lot of false starts, terribly even when they talk to two, and even Nick, right? Like, yeah. Like, when you have, you finally have that one, you know, I actually had it the other day with, with uh, Kimchi Stew, where, you know, I'm making it, I probably made four or five, six batches over the last couple of years, and then I made one, I was like, this one actually tastes good. And I felt like, I've arrived, like, I, I've got something here that I can build, you know? So, maybe not the same as a silk. Cooking is an art. <laughs> it is, totally. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's keep going on with this conversation because it's so great. Um, unless there's anything else that's, that you want to, about Yavanna's uh, speech, that's the one thing that, that struck me, but there might be something else that other people wanted to. Uh... Um, I just wanted to add one thing to what Sophia was saying about mm -hmm. the community effort in making these, or lack thereof. I went back and read the creation of the trees again. It's almost all you have, um, except for Nienna is watering ground with its tears, mm -hmm. which is cool. Yes. Um, so the, the trees are partly Nienna's creation as well, which is really cool reading this little bit where Nienna's crying. Yeah. We're making a bunch of jokes about Valar math <laughs> after book study. Yeah. About Valar math? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yavanna plus Nienna equals the two trees. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Different combinations. That would be great. What did we end up with? 
up with Lumo plus Nana equals just water. Salt water. Salt water. So much salt water. So um, there is this line of uh, foresighted was he, and didn't we have something when he makes Silmarils that Feanor does have a, it talks about his foresight in there. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Tolkien, the narrator mentioned something, yeah. about, not necessarily that, that Feanor had it. Yeah, because he felt like he it was going to disappear. Yeah. Okay, so then Monway speaks, right? Hearest thou, Feanor, son of Finway, the words of Ivana, wilt thou grant what she would ask? There's long silence, Feanor remains silent. Tolkis, right? <laughs> Speak, yea or nay, who will deny Ivana? Did not the light of the Cermals come from her work in the beginning? I feel like Tokas shouldn't have said that. Okay, why? I really think that you say something like that to Fanor, it's just going to solidify him to do the opposite. Yes, well, that's true. Well, like, that's true. and in any kind of big decision like this, like, just rushing him is not going to help. Okay, Sophia? I don't think it would have made any difference. Probably not. Because Feanor uses silence as an I've already decided not to do mm. what you've said, as we've seen in previous chapters. So yeah. I think the fact that Feanor's got this long silence means he's already made up his mind. Okay. He's like Tyrone Lannister. Um, so here Tolkien is doing what he does so well, which is sort of presenting sort of two sides, right? Where you're not unsympathetic to either one. Because Tolkien is right, right? When saying that the light of the Cermals comes from the trees, right? And therefore... Feanor can't claim uh, sole creation of the Silmarils because it's, it's sort of borrowed light or derivative light, if you will, right? But then Owlays, what do you mean of Owlays' response, yeah. right? Be not hasty. We ask a greater thing than thou knowest. Let him have peace yet a while. Well, it's nice of him. It's very mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah. Owlay is the maker, so he understands what it's like to love the thing that you've made with your hands. So he's like, yeah, no, like, you're asking for a really big thing. Yeah. Like, you're asking someone to Robert? For somebody who's so understanding and good at, you know, teaching patience and other other virtue, why do all the bad apples come from him? It's such a good question. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. very purposeful. It's a really good question. It's all his disciples that turn bad. Yeah. I can't think of any other examples, really. Nope. I mean, the Balrogs technically are, are not from Alway. No, I say Alway. Sauron was one of the greatest Sauron is, but he was corrupted by um, which I guess everyone is corrupted by Melkor and Yang but yeah. I'm just wondering why it's, it's Ali's right. people, it's maybe because they're more understanding, they're more open to Melkor or I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question uh, I don't know who's we'll start with Josh um, Ali has a bit of a history of not wanting to blame the Noldor for anything <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a theme with him yeah Okay. Sarah? It's not Owlay's fault. I think it's more a quality of the fact that, um, of what he does, right? So sure, Owlay's very understanding when people are failing at something because, you know, it takes to take time and take risks. Um, and also he understands how important your creation can be to you. But um, there's my creation is important to me and there's my creation is more important than millions of lives mm. um, and one of those is an acceptable position to take. <laughs> right? right? Um, and like Sophia and I were talking about this the other day in an entirely different context but um, the thing about Feanor's art form that I just can't grasp is that when I'm writing something or when I'm making something um, it's not just for myself right? 
like you're making it to share. It's meant to be broadly mm-hmm. read and broadly understood and broadly appreciated. Um, so if you're creating art that isn't benefiting the community um, that people can't can't grasp or can't access, um, then what purpose does your art have? And so that's my problem with what fake art does here is it's not that your your art shouldn't be important to you. It's that your art is meant to benefit everyone. Um, and if you're just locking it away, it's not doing that. Okay. So I imagine that um, aesthetics, philosophy of aesthetics, well, that would be a really good question to, to raise in that kind of course, right? Whether art can be done, whether art that's done for yourself or that you have no intention of ever sharing is of worth, right? Or less worth than the art that is out, that is shared. I think it's a really good question. Obviously, you, the only way to find out is to try to be a bit more like Vanna. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah, right. He made some beautiful jewels, though. Um, really quickly, in response to that, um, I think there can be a legitimate um, making art for yourself, not as an I want this thing and it's all mine, but as an expression. sets Alvey apart from all this group of makers um, is that he can see the other side a lot better. Like he's seeing um, Feanor's side here as well as the Valor. He's kind of in between. And when he creates the dwarves, he wants it just to be about the dwarves, but then he's like, Luktar, I see what you're trying to say here. Um, whereas Melkor, Feanor, and the dwarves to a large extent can't see the other side as much. Um, so I think that's kind of I think Aulia would have a tendency to only see his own creation, but it's like part of the virtue that raises Aulia above and beyond the other makers is that he's a mediator in the sense. Okay. Sophia? Um, in answer to Robert's question, and kind of building off of Sarah's point, um, there are kind of two parts to the reason why it's always Aulia. The first part is that he, um, he actually has disciples. That's part of it. Um, <laughs> he actually has disciples, and he actually um, is more of a teacher figure than most of the other Valar. It's kind of like you don't see Varda ever teaching anybody else how to make a star, so there's no opportunity for that person to go off and use the star to kill people. Um, <laughs> so, like, right? Or, like, if you work for Vire, like, you don't, like, learn weaving and then go off and become a spider weaver and kill people. Like, you learn weaving and then you, like, like you learn weaving so that you can chill in Byray's halls working on her tapestries with her, like Muriel does. So, like, part of it is that Aule teaches so many people how to do things. Um, and the other part of it is that, um, at least in Tolkien's view, like, what Aule does is one of the most easily corruptible like, Aule does it in the absolute purest sense, but there is a very fine line between Aule's work and the work of industry and the kind of technological advancement that Tolkien doesn't like, so I think that's, that 
also a very fine line between making something and wanting to possess it. So like, Aulay himself has no problems because he doesn't want to possess the things he makes, but when he teaches his skill to people who are possessive or people who want to use like those things that they have in order to dominate others, like Sauron, like that's where I think when you start to have issues. So I think it's just that Aulay's skill set is the skill of making things well, and the skill of making things well can be very easily turned to evil, see Nazi Germany. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, all right, so then we have uh, Fanner's first speech. For the less, even as for the greater, there is some deed that he may accomplish but once only, and in that deed his heart shall rest. It may be that I can unlock my jewels, but never again shall I make their like. And if I must break them, I shall break my heart, and I shall be slain, first of all the Eldar in Amman. Not the first sin, then. So, yeah, Sophia? Just a comment. Like, Mandos's timing also comes across as so sassy. Yeah, yeah. Because Thanor's like, I am the exception. Like, I'm right. the one, and Mandos is like, yeah. Actually, actually not. Yeah. <laughs> as well as Ungoliant. Well, well it's see. really, like he does, he, he sort of, um, he deflates ego, right, Mongols, right? And so there's something about um, knowledge, right, that, that, well, yeah, not knowledge. Hi, welcome. Hi, hi. sorry I'm you late. No, no, that's no problem. We're really glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Uh, why don't we just quickly go around and say our names for Yuki, so at least she has a sunset. You, you'll probably forget most of them, but... It's okay, I'll catch you. Yeah. So we'll start with next to you there. I'm Robert. I'm Sophia. Sophia. I'm the president of the club. Tristan. Also, Tristan is who you were talking to, by the way. Oh, yeah. Wondering. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm the face of the club. Sorry. Anyway, why don't you say got two of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rick. <laughs> yeah, I can I'm see Jordan. Sarah. Josh. Great. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so we're talking about chapter nine of the Silmarillion, and we've yeah. barely started it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's something about knowledge. I, I mean, this is trite and probably like super Captain Obvious, but the way the way knowledge sort of uh, dismantles or destabilizes ignorance, right? Like Fanor is speaking out of ignorance. Right? And Mando sort of counters that with knowledge. I know it sounds like Frank saying it, right? But, uh, yeah, so, so there's something there as well that Mandel's is sort of correcting a kind of ignorance, even a kind of arrogant ignorance. Like, like, yeah. like Fanner's really playing the martyr or the victim there, too, right? And that's also what, what Mando sort of undermines in Fanner, right? Fanner can't claim to be the first to be, you know what I mean? He's claiming this as. I'm the first, and Mandel's right away takes that from him, right? Which is really interesting. Yeah, Sarah. Um, I think, okay, so the thing that I find the most interesting about this speech in particular is that Fanor, Fanor doesn't know what he wants. Mm. Like, when he originally made them, it was because he thought the light of the trees was going to be lost. Right. Right, or at least that was the professed reason that he made them. Because he was so worried. He, he had some sense that something was going to go wrong, and he wanted to keep the light of the trees alive. Mm -hmm. So he makes the Silmarils, and then they're like, you could keep the light of the trees alive. And he's like, 
but I can't, I'll die. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, right. And I think it reflects the shift already in his mind, right? That he, he's no longer thinking of it as something that could be given. Yeah, Sophia? Um, other things that are, like, so great about Nando's are the fact that he undermines arrogance and also kind of raises up the humble in a way, and I think that's just by virtue of seeing everything. So he sees the truth when people are boasting, and he sees the truth when people might go unnoticed. Like, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, when we talked about the Finway Muriel debate um, after book study, um, but, and like how much I love the ending of that, where he's just like, yeah, so this situation kind of sucks, but we're gonna do it. And anyway, no one's considered the fact that at least it's going to make Indus really happy. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to read that last night, but I didn't have time to read it. Yeah, Brian? Um, in that, it seems to me that Mando's release doesn't appear to have much like intentionality behind what he's saying. Like, there's no will to help out one side or the other. He doesn't really care how his words are accepted or anything like that. He's just like, here it is. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. And maybe that part of it is how we read tone, I guess. Because, mm -hmm. like, I don't think Mandos is impassive. Or, is that the word impassive? No. no. What's the word? Impartial. No, what's the word when you're. Impassive is correct. Impassive is, yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that's the word. Yeah, like, I don't think he's not invested in in the good. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a new. I don't think he's a neutral character. Uh, I guess is what I agree saying. as well, right. but, like, in his words themselves that mm. doesn't come out like he's like here's my here's my opinions here's my what I'm saying which is just how it is he's affecting change just by speaking the things that he sees there is no kind of agenda or like speeches that sway the public he just says what he sees and, and by that those words themselves they affect kind of the course of events I think reading it it's partly because until we get to like the full doom of Mandos what he says is just so short. Right. It's hard for me to see it. Yeah. Yeah, Sophia? Well, I mean, the yeah. other thing to think about That's is the true. fact that um, Mandos always knows more than anybody else. Yeah. So, bye. Um, bye. So you can you see the choices coach? of Mandos in terms of choices of what to say, what not to say, yeah. and when to say it. Yeah. Even when what he says is very much stating a black. True. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jordan. Um, I, I was just looking back at the uh, the at the beginning of the, of the Silmarils and uh, the whole uh, you know some foresight or possibly the it's it's unclear what actually Thanor feels or exactly why um, he wants to preserve the the light imperishable. And I was thinking that that's the one of the first signs of the elvish, kind of the elvish um, uh, desire to just keep things the way they are. We talked about that. Yeah. 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 But, it, but it's also like his, his, what he's showcasing now is both the sliding goalpost <laughs> that, that can come with that and also, you know, the kind of how that breaks down. And, like, it, it doesn't actually kind of, you know, as soon as soon as your own desires, then suddenly that's kind of out the window, and now he wants to preserve what he has, 
and not you know not the trees where they came from. So, yeah, okay. I I actually don't think that he would be slain if he gives them up. I think he's exaggerating. Yeah, it's it's a metaphor is my yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I think I don't even think it's a metaphor. I think he's deliberately exaggerating the the, the, the place that they. You know, I think I in my opinion. Right, um, like e being a little emo. Is that the word? Okay. Maybe that's mm -hmm. um, okay uh, Nick, and then Ryan, and we got to keep going here because we're only on the first page. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, what happens when you only write one chapter? Then you, you know. Well, I'm just gonna say that, like, um, yes, like I think it is a, a very much an exaggeration, and like in this chapter, especially, we see um, the, the dramatic shift in his sort of mindset, but. I think it just goes back to the idea, like, well, you know, what I mentioned, like, the whole aspect of kind of pouring yourself into your art, where, you know, no, he wouldn't die in the physical sense, but sort of his creative soul, and, like, just he would be less, so much less, if this great work was kind of taken from him and, like, dispersed or whatever, because... Yes, if, if it was taken from him, but not if he gives it up. That's the difference, I think, right? And that's where he's, like... That's what he's thinking, right? He's thinking, oh, it's going to kill me. But that just shows again how sort of twisted he already is, yeah. right? Because uh, I don't think that, if anything, I think he would be sort of enhanced if he were able to willingly give them up for the sake of the other. I think that's always a... That, that would actually sort of, quote-unquote, humanize him in a way, right? Yeah, so yeah. We can move on to the third page. Okay, yeah, but meanwhile, on the road to yeah. <laughs> in which we've got so you know okay so like Mandos is like that has spoken and then they get the news that Finway's been killed um, because the other Noldor fled but Finway like tried to stand against Morgoth yeah. so he died Feanor freaks out because he's like you know there's this little part about how he like actually really loved his father right. um, yeah. and then there's the part about like how, so there's a little bit about, there we go. The Silmarils had passed away, and all one it may seem, whether Feanor had said yea or nay to Yavanna, yet he had said yea, yet had he said yea at the first, before the tidings came from Formos, it may be that his after deeds would have been other than they were, but now the doom of the Noldor drew near. So this is what you were just saying, yeah. is like, but if he had agreed to give him up, he might have been better. Right. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with like the rut that he gets into, yeah. because by refusing to give up the Silmarils, like, he very much just pushes himself further into that rut he has of whatever I say, I will do it. And everyone is against me and I will never yield. I will never turn back on anything I've said or anything I've done, ever. Whereas like if he'd yielded now, maybe he would have, you know, yeah. been more willing to later as well. Right. So Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, what strikes me most about those messengers um, is that Finway is amazing. <laughs> yes. I think he might be my favorite though. Yeah. But, or Finway alone had not. Yeah, right. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but Finway alone had not fled from the horror of the dark. Yeah. Which is great, but you know, like he's just so noble, but he's not as amazing of a, a maker as Feanor is. Mm -hmm. um, not as strong of a personality. <laughs> no, but he definitely is more noble, more epic, more. I don't know. Yeah. Feanor, how, how he's as he is supposed to be. Like we were. Comparing Robert, I think you were comparing earlier Feanor to Saruman, um, and then at least in the movies, Gandalf comes in and he's like, "I'm Saruman as he's supposed to be," and it's such an epic line. Mm -hmm. I think 
there's kind of a similar thing going mm. on. Mm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, Sophia? Okay, first of all, you're going to love fin, uh, Finrod. Yep, I, I will. Because everybody loves Finrod. I actually think <laughs> Kilogrimor is Feanor, as he was supposed ah, to be. Ah, right. Yes. yes. Okay. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I would say that, too. Yeah. His yeah. grandson. Hey, Joseph's here. Okay, so now we're, hey. never, now we're never going to get to the end. <laughs> Ouch, Rick. We're only, no, I'm just saying, we're only in like the second page, so of, of, of chapter nine. Yeah, so yeah. we hardly, and now that you're here, you know, I mean, that's a good thing. It's just going to be so no, we're, 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 So we might have to like jump forward a little bit. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to have to. Move on to the next uh, I, do, I do think the, uh, the naming of Morgoth, right, that's important yes. here, so... Okay, so let's let's jump ahead now to the Morgoth versus Ungoliath. Oh, right. Um, yeah, Sophia. I like how she calls him Blackheart. Yes, yes. It's like when the literal embodiment of darkness is yeah. like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. Like, you know <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I might be darkness itself, but I'm not a liar. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. honest about myself. Right. Yeah. So did you, you did you get a chance to talk about Ungoliant last week? Much? Yes, we yes. actually yes. talked yeah. quite a lot about yeah. it. Yeah, okay, so we don't spend a whole lot of time, except to say, does this now shed any more light on you know, her as a character or as a whatever it is that she is? I mean, it did, but then she turned all of the light into shadow again. Yeah. Holy shit, it's a metaphor for the fact that we can't understand Ungoliant. <laughs> Well, it's, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's like a meta metaphor. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm it just so cycles on. I mean, it, it's 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 yeah. It's interesting that we we really she's a bit like uh, like like the the, the opposite of Bombadil, right? It's like you don't know what she is except she's darkness, darkness right? Yeah. And at darkness, that's even more originary than even Melkor in the Valley. It seems like like yeah. very original, you know. And and even I think that's a word. Yeah. Sarah, is that a word originally? I think it's a word. Okay. And Hypothetically, yes. Might be, yeah. Yeah, because I don't use words. <laughs> uh, or or, or, or Nervinos. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, okay, so over. So the, the, I just love the scene, and then, of course, he calls he calls the mom. Yeah, Sophia? I love how she goes to Nandangarthab, and then, like, has a bunch of creepy spider children. Right. And then just leaves. <laughs> well, and there were and, and there were already spiders there that she right. So yeah. she's not. And again, she's not a spider. She's in the form of like there's something else going on, right? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Because it's like there's other foul creatures right. in spider form, and I'm like, are these like ungoliant mylar? Like. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah, Sarah. Um, originary uh, means causing existence or productive, or it means primitive, primary. Primordial would be another good one. Yeah. Also, oh, pre-primordial. I think they're just that's really big spiders, like that are a part of, um, like, Melkor's more original corruption of the world. Uh, that she's because they're obviously not equal with her. She mates with them and then eats them. Right. Um, Which spiders? Female spiders do. Yeah. So I think that they're probably just actual spiders. Right. That's what oh, I was right. Plus, it said that Melkor corrupted beasts and made them all like spiky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he lived in Australia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite like sassy lines in this whole book is just like when Morgoth said, "You know, what wouldst thou have more?" Said Morgoth, "Dost thou desire all the world for thy belly? I did not vow to give thee that. I am its lord. Not so much." Let's <laughs> <laughs> just. I just love how 
she just is totally she's similar to Feanor in that they both just like say no I'm, not, I'm tired of your shit Melkor <laughs> they're just they're just like I just love like cause like Melkor even like people like sort of like Tokas or like other Valar sometimes they're like taken in but like Feanor and Ungoliant they're just like no I just like they are extremely kind of forcible personalities and I just enjoy how they both are just like so like against him they might take some of his knowledge for themselves but they are not going to be willing to be like Manipulated by him. Well, and, and it's like he he lets something loose that then goes out of his control, mm-hmm. right? If it was ever in his control, if I'm going, it was ever under his control in any way. She probably. But doesn't. but but it's interesting how he loses. He, he sort of he loses control in that moment and, and is actually in danger right? yeah. from her, which again is just suggests that she is something greater. And I mean, what is she? I don't even know. Right? It's like a yeah, Sophia? Um, two Why thoughts. First of all, like, you can't really corrupt Ungoliant to your service because Ungoliant is completely single minded. Mm-hmm. You can't be like, oh, but, like, you know, like, what about? She's like, no, like, I don't care about the whole world. Just give me that one jewel. I want to eat yeah. it. Like, she's completely single minded. She just wants to eat light. Yes, yeah, she's um, like a pure expression of chaos. We have an yeah, army. in a way. We have <laughs> This weird incident of Melkor being captured by this giant spider just strikes me as very Loki-ish. Yeah. Because mm. Loki gets himself into this kind of shit all of the time, <laughs> where he tries to get something from someone more powerful than him, and then he gets into trouble um, because he double-crosses them. Right. This happens, like, super, super often. And, you know, it's, it's like it's really interesting in this, yeah... Um, and this scream that just like echoes right. around, like yeah. Yeah. anyway, uh, Loki's thrashing causes earthquakes. Yeah. But um, I envisioned the scream from the Princess Bride when that happened, just that like <laughs> shriek that happens across the land. What? <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, it's so it's very Loki-ish, and then he's always like he either tricks his way out, or more often like he ends up needing to be rescued. Right. And you do. You also get in here this language of him. Um, one of the reasons that he is um, overpowered is because he's poured so much of his power already into wicked things. Right, mm-hmm. that's in there. Uh, okay, uh, Joseph and then Ryan, and we gotta get going. And you down here from from UP as well. So. No. <laughs> An interesting thing that didn't come up when we were talking about Angolan last time is there's a really neat parallel between her and the Leviathan and the Behemoth in Hebrew mm-hmm. mythology. Mm-hmm. These sort of like primeval creatures that right. God made that are actually really dangerous and not quite suited for the rest of the world. Right, yeah. And it's interesting. I'm wondering if he took like the idea of that sort of primeval creature and then applied it to... Yeah, like... Uh, like, like, yeah. like Angolian is some sort of leviathan of sorts. Right, or like a Tiamat yeah. figure. Yeah, right. yeah. Like a chaos figure. Yeah. yeah. Although you don't... Well, I don't know the Babylonian stuff well enough to know how much Tiamat is associated with darkness. There may be some of that too. It'd be interesting. Hi. To that. <laughs> She's yeah. not. No. It's like salt She's water. associated with salt water, and yeah, also sea, her right? body is cut apart to make everything in the entire right. world. So there's so, not really an association with darkness. Okay, so she's chaos. Right? I mean, it's really. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you want a, a, a modern telling of the Babylonian story, just watch Jobs. It's basically the same story. Yeah, Ryan. Um, in response to that, um, one very, very large difference is that here Tolkien has a monotheism. 
So let's get let's make sure that we're all on the same page first of all, so that we yeah. know where we are. Yeah. Yuki, can you find where we are? The first speech. Okay. What what version of the book do you have? Can you show us the cover? Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, that's page eighty. Oh, that's probably okay. Eighty eight. Eighty eight. Okay, that's gonna help us. And though he be now their foe, are not they and he of one kin? 
Vengeance calls me hence, but even were it otherwise, I would not dwell longer in the same land with the kin of my father's slayer and of the thief of my treasure. Yet I am not the only valiant in this valiant people. And have ye not all lost your king? And what else have ye not lost, cooped here in a narrow land between the mountains and the sea? Here once was light that the Valar begrudged to Middle-earth, but now dark levels all. Shall we mourn here, deedless forever, a shadow folk, mist-haunting, dropping vain tears in the thankless sea? Or shall we return to our home? In Cuivian and sweet ran the waters under unclouded stars, and wide lands lay about where a free people might walk. There they lie still and await us, who in our folly forsook them. Come away, let the cowards keep this city. Okay. So, uh, I mean, Tolkien, again, you know, you're, you can't be totally unsympathetic to Feyenoord. Uh, but at the same time, he's wrong, mm. right? About a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, Sophia? I think it actually makes you hate him so much more effectively because he's, so he's, like, in mentioning the Valar, he's just calling them, like, kin with Melkor. Um, so he's making that connection. Um, well, he's that, calling that is the Valar, true. like, the kin of my father's slayer and the thief of my treasure. So he's, like, he's twisting that in yeah. that sense to implicate the Valar. Right. And then he's like guilty painting. by association. Yeah, and he's, and then he, like, and then he goes back and he paints this like beautiful picture of Cuvianen, and he draws on freedom, yeah. and he draws on um, like cowardice versus bravery and folly, and like essentially he's twisting everything so that he is the moral center of the universe. Right. Mm. And if you're with him, you're right, and if you're against him, you're and he's doing it so compellingly and so masterfully, yeah. like, yeah, it's really good. Well, and, and this is where you get, like, like in, in certainly autobiographical stuff, there have been um, characters where, in, in certain speeches, where uh, people have said, Tolkien's thinking, of, well, no, that can't be right. It's too, no, I'm wrong. I was going to say Hitler, but that's too early. That's more of a Saruman kind yeah. of thing. But even there, anyway... Um, but yeah, what's, what I like about this is both is trying to sort of discern which parts of Fanner's speeches he believes to be true, right, himself, and which parts are clearly him, you know what I mean, trying to twist it. Because he's speaking out of his rage and his anger, right? And, and, and I think there are bits and pieces that I think he probably actually believes to be the truth. And in other parts where you see clearly he's like this language of him wanting to go quickly before cooler heads prevail, like that really shows that he knows that he's on sort of on thin ice, right? Which at least everyone else saw. That hurts. <laughs> yeah, Nick. <laughs> yeah, like in this in this initial speech, I think he he believes like most of what he's saying because like. Later on, you know, we have the language of once they start on their journey, he can't let anyone stop because, you know, if anyone takes the time to think, they might not follow him. So right. his, his later actions, like how he, how he conducts what leads up to the kinsling and the stealing of the ships, that is partly motivated by, you know, 
like in this initial speech, like he, I think he does believe all of the, these things where he's just so twisted where he, because you know, Melkor's a Valar, he took my stuff, killed my father, they are Valar, I can't stay with them anymore. Like he, I think he honestly believes that, but then the rest of it, it's just he's made his choice, you know, he's done this thing, and he knows that there's no going back, so he is partly motivated by kind of this need to just keep going because, you know, to keep up momentum, where, like, he, some, even in, like, his twisted state, he might not have done some of these things, but that's just conjecture. But it's just, like, more motivated by now he's got them, he can't risk losing them because then, you know, the, like, he doesn't want to be in a position where he wants, where he'll, you know, be forced to kind of apologize or, you know, redeem himself to the Valar. And, like, once he gets going, he can't allow himself to stop. Right, but I mean, it's not like he needs them, right? Because he abandons most of Like, he just gets more and more, um, I mean, ima like, imagine, for example, that, that Finrod had said, you know, after he sees the burning of the ships, he says, well, then screw it, forget it, we'll just not go. Then, then Thanor would have a really tiny group. Like, I mean, it'd be useless, right? Mm -hmm. And yet he's become, he's so sort of insane, right? That even that he thinks is, is enough, right? To, to, to move ahead and whatever he thinks is gonna happen, right? Yeah, Sophia? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you also see in this chapter really clearly, like, how he treats other people as just pawns to get yeah. what he wants. Like, yeah. Like, even though it says that he really loved his father, like, you don't really see a lot of that. And, right. his, like, his love of one thing doesn't ever translate into love of something else. Correct. Like, the fact that he loved his father and he lost his father doesn't make him value the lives of his sons anymore. Right. At all. Right. So that's yeah. sort of one thing that you see that Feanor, like, even though he, like, it'll say he loves people, he obviously doesn't care yeah. until he no longer has them. Right. Because, but yeah, anyway. Um, well, so and he, was, yeah. yeah. Well, and he claims the kingship, right? Yeah. Pretty quickly after Finway is, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't wait that long. And it's not like they, they give him the kingship, right? He claims it, right? So, so you know, it's in a sense, like before his dad's even in the grave, he's like claiming, the, you know, so he's already uh, sort of moved past it. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, Sophia. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say that, like, yeah, you see, um, I mean, we're, we're, we'll get there at the end, but like the way he just, everybody behind yeah. like uncaringly because he feels like he's cutting off dead weight like the fact that um yeah and like his sons are the same like if his yeah. sons weren't agreeing with him on everything like he doesn't care about them right so yep yeah <clears throat> yeah sarah um some of the things that i find interesting about Thanos' speech here is like have you not all lost your king um, there's no indication of what elves do when people die that are like important. Like, um, generally in cultures with like kingships and high kingships, like they'd have some sort of state funeral, mm -hmm. right? A period of mourning maybe. Um, but he's just, he goes straight from, you've lost this king who was very important, but also none of you have any conception of what it is for people to die yet because that hasn't happened before. Um, so Finley is the first person to be slain, and they just, he just moves right past yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, just glosses right over it. Like, these people must all be so lost and confused. They're like, what the heck just happened? 
this has never happened before, but no, sure enough, it's like, I am the king now. Remember that we lost that guy? Yes, but only to make you angry. Let's move forward. All right, uh, let's move on to his next speech, which is just a, oh, sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say how much I noticed Melkor is so intertwined with everything that's going on. All the evil in the elves, and especially in the Noldor, um, all harkens back to Melkor, um, even to the second theme back in Ainulindale, which is supposed to correspond to the elves. Um, and it says that, if I can find it, um, but now Iluvatar sat harkened, and for a good while it seemed good to him, for in the music there were no flaws. But as the theme progressed, it came into the heart of Melkor to interweave matters of his own imagining. Um, even in the second theme, it's Melkor that's slightly twisting it. Mm -hmm. um, and the Noldor should see right through um, Feanor's speech. It should be so obvious. Where is their justice? Where is their integrity that you do see in the Teleri? Um, and it's because every single one of them has been listening to Melkor. It all comes back to him. Which doesn't make the Noldor innocent by any means, but it does say that they are not the root cause of this evil, which right. is very interesting. Well, some of the language, like even cooped up, being cooped here, I think is something that Melkor had said already about, uh, yeah. right? Um, okay, so then we have this second speech. You, Sophie, do you want to read that one too? Totally. Fair shall the end be, that one. Yep. Um, fair shall the end be, though long and hard shall be the road. Say farewell to bondage, but say farewell also to ease. Say farewell to the weak, say farewell to your treasures, more still shall we make. Journey light, but bring with you your swords, for we will go further than Orme, endure longer than Tolkis. We will never turn back from pursuit. After Morgoth, to the ends of the earth, war shall he have and hatred undying. But when we have conquered and have regained the Silmarils, then we and we alone shall be lords of the unsullied light and masters of the bliss and beauty of Arda. No other race shall oust us. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Feanor. Yeah, right. I'm hitting <laughs> every single point of terribleness. <laughs> right. Well, and it's interesting that his his scope has increased. Right. It's not just oh, yeah. we're just going to end Morgoth. It's like no, no, no. We're going to the ends of the earth. Like we're taking everything. Right. Yeah, uh, Matthew. Yeah, it's interesting how he goes from just, like, things are reflecting lies that Morgoth spread among the Noldar to very similar intentions to Morgoth himself, right? Yeah, right. With that, that scope that all of a sudden we will be masters of the world and yeah. the light and everything. It's, yeah. it's not just the lies of Morgoth like we had before um, with this notion of their freedom being impinged by the Valor and stuff like yeah. that. It's now we're going to take everything. Right. Just do what and that nice little no other race shall oust us, of course, yeah. right? Yeah, that's, no, that's, no. that's the aftercomers already. He's, again, Melkor's poison. Well, that's, yeah, that's Melkor's life, too. So, yeah, it's, Joseph? It's, it's interesting, yeah. Like, there's this sort of, like, equation with, like, a higher being that Melkor does. And it's kind of like that massive calamity of pride you see in, like, all the fall narratives of, like, instead right. of, like, oh, we're going to respect our own place in the hierarchy, we're going to try to become, like, a different level of the hierarchy than yeah. we already are. Yeah, this isn't about... Well, it was never about justice. It was it's always about vengeance. But like, even, it's not even, it's it, more than vengeance it, now. It's just like total... Kind of, it's it's the sort of progression you see yeah. of, like, well, something's been wrong, but now I'm going to try to, like, make the yeah. entire world submit to my pride. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jordan? Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I, I want to call this speech 
um, fascist. <laughs> but but there's like there because what I'm seeing in there is I, I'm seeing well something of kind of like the I don't know Uber elf. <laughs> like this, this, there's this like the the you know leave your treasures we don't need wealth leave the sick that was yeah, one of the big right. ones like there's, we, yeah yeah like there's this kind of he has this he's giving them this idealized I don't know madly elf that who can weather everything and go further be faster be stronger than anyone else yeah. <laughs> even the gods uh, and, and, but there's I mean there's yeah, it kind of also, yeah, this, but it also kind of the, I don't know, the way I see his speech, like, this bondage, it's a, it's a like, the kind of, the, he's, he's giving the elf, he's, he's thinking of the elves stay in the Hellenhor, the same kind of, like, some, tr- this unequal treatment of their, you know, of their race, uh, you know, which I guess would be. In his mind, might be parallel to you know um, bad economic circumstances of you know Europe or Germany or whatever. But that, that's that's what I was saying. I was one other point. The say farewell to bondage, which reminded me that the Lay of Lathian is called Release from Bondage, which is was a very weird parallel to be making in the middle of that speech. But well, we we, when we always asked, we always talked when we did Baron and Luthien about why he called it that. Well, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons that we said, but I want we. I've never made that connection with banners. It might be interesting to yeah, say it when we get to it. So. Uh, okay, Sarah. Um, yeah, to kind of like build on that, um, the idea of the fact that he thinks that the Valar are like keeping them imprisoned right. um, and are like oppressing them is, I, I think it's actually remarkably similar to what you were saying because it's really the idea that. Um, the Valar keep encouraging them to do what is best for everybody and keep encouraging Banner to do what is best for everybody. And he sees an attempt to the towards the common good as something that puts him down. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, yeah, a, a remarkable, uh, definitely a quality of neo-fascism in that mm-hmm. the, the idea of working towards a common good is something that lessens people from positions of privilege and they think that it's oppression. Right. Okay. Nick? Well, and I'm <laughs> reminded of Yoda when he said, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny? Where in Feanor's case, once he sort of opened the door to kind of letting his pride and his sort of fiery nature take over, he just descends down the spiraling path where he just, it, it's kind of like see this behavior of kind of other kind of like sociopaths or um, like egomaniacal people where they just they just like take everything to such a such an extent where like they just go further and further down the chasm and just like as they go further their like ambitions go much further like oh you know it started out you know I'm just going to avenge my father but then it becomes in the process of doing that we will become the master race of the entire world like that's just that's like his total kind of descent right there like that's the point of no return He's, he's got reached such a point of megalomania and and just this kind of you know this cult of personality kind of idea where there's just no going back. Well, he's he's still given a chance, right? 
But you know, for, take, but he's yeah. still given a chance. But yeah, like, so he could still it could still happen. I guess. But but for, like for him in his mind and just for like his character, there is no going back because uh, like you know just yeah. he can never turn back from this great new path he's leading right. him on. And, yeah, and it shows that Lucas told him to go. Told him. Yeah, <laughs> Um Also, a lot of the because I was going to point that out too. A lot of the um, fascist elements come from that language of conquest and the way he's talking about freedom. So like. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Ryan. Um, 
what struck me about that particular reading is they think it's about the Silmarils, they think this oath, oath is all about the Silmarils, but it's not, not at all. It's <laughs> about them, and it's about right. their will to power. Yeah. On, and like this whole thing is just an incredible treatise on freedom, yeah. Um, yeah. which is great, because in their freedom to do what they want and to make it good for them at the cost of everyone else, they're in fact ruining themselves and they're yeah. ruining the real gems of Valinor, if you will, um, which is themselves. Um, it, the whole thing is reminding me of this quote by um, Pope John Paul II, which unfortunately is too late to have influenced on him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's still cool. Um, it's, um, he's talking about communism and he's like, the freedom is not being able to do what you want. Freedom is having the right to do as you ought, um, which is really cool. Um, and so they're really destroying real freedom by taking this oath in their freedom. One, like most people today, you know, they think freedom means they can just impinge on the freedom of others, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jordan? Uh, just saying, there is a version I found on Tolkien Gateway that apparently comes from Morgoth's ring. That's what we found it. That's a later one, too. That, yeah. that means mm. he, that's his revised Would you like me to read it? No. Okay. Uh, and only because <laughs> we got to keep going. Yeah. And I want to talk about Galadriel. Well, just look up the fan on Smoking Gateway. It's right there on yeah. the bottom of that. And on the like, off chance that Josh comes back, I do want to let him read it. Because he really wanted to, and I totally jacked it. Okay, so we almost need a diorama of like which elf went. How yeah, but, but, so let, yeah, but we'll we'll just deal with Galadriel at this point. So um, yeah, but Galadriel, the only woman of the Noldor to stand that day, tall and valiant among the contending princes, was eager to be gone. No oaths she swore, interesting, but the words of Feanor concerning Middle Earth had kindled in her heart, for she yearned to see the wide, unguarded lands and to rule there a realm at her own will. Of like mind with Galadriel was Fingon, Fingolfin's son, being moved also by Fanor's words. Okay, so there we have Galadriel. She wants to go. Yes, Sarah? The most interesting thing about Galadriel is that she's got her own agenda. Yep. Yeah. Right? So she's like, she's listening to them, and she's like, no, you're right, you're right. Like, the other world, that does sound interesting. I would totally, that would be interesting. I'd like to go out there and maybe make a realm of my own, because I'd like to be in charge. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, but then she, but also like, Feanor his sons get up to swear this oath, and she's just like, she's nowhere near as stupid no. enough to sign a <laughs> binding contract. Right. Well, she's, it's, she's it's, far and, too and, smart for that. Right, and this is this is uh, Robert's question too, right, about Finrod and about like, in, does Galadriel take part in the king's slaying? Remember Tolkien revised that? Oh yeah, yeah. But at this, at this point, right, and because later when 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 she meets Melian. She doesn't. She keeps that information from her. She doesn't reveal it, right? Uh, somehow that gets. I can't remember who spills the beans on that. But, and then yeah. So you'll anyway. You'll read as you get there. Yeah, uh, Sophia. In fact, it might come up before. Uh, well, I mean, also like Feanor. Like even even the people who don't agree with Feanor, he's still like he's still hitting on their pride yeah. and like their excess of pride. Right. So you kind of see like. The, the different levels where, like, Galadriel is 
not even the person coming off the best here. Right. Which is kind of nice, given what Tolkien normally yeah. does with his woman. Right. Um, yes. Right? Like, there's there's these different levels of, like, Orodrath and Finarfin are coming off the best here, where yep. they're trying to calm everyone. And then there's Finrod and Turgon. Um, Finrod is really just there because his friends are there. Yeah. Um, and Turgon is also kind of just there because his dad is there. Um, and then you have Fingon and Galadriel, who are on a different level in terms of like, like we don't agree with Feanor, but hmm, yeah, this whole conquest and becoming rulers thing, like right. that's Sounds good. Sweet. He's got something there. Yeah. Um, so it's it's nice because you see that like awakening of Galadriel's like ambition yes. when she's young. Um, it's just I think it gets tempered once she gets to Middle Earth. She spends a long time learning from Melian before she yes. goes off and builds her kingdom. Right, that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> the difference. I think that's the difference. She doesn't go straight there. Yeah. And build she's the only one who assists the Melian. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, the other thing I'd say to kind of talk about, um, like their desire to go out in, in conquest, is that what sets apart um, Galadriel and Fingon's idea of just going, kind of establishing their own kingdom, as opposed to what. Uh, Fane or his sons are going to do, mm. which is pursue everyone to the ends of the earth and own everything and, you know, take things, take things from people because they can. Yeah. Um, is that, like, Middle Earth is only very sparsely inhabited at this point. Yeah. So, the, it's it's not um, the same idea of a conquest that we have in that there's a very high chance that they could feasibly go somewhere and set up somewhere where there isn't any and therefore, they would not. They wouldn't be impeaching anyone else's um, freedom or space to live. They're just going and setting up their own space, which is vastly different from pursuing killing someone and taking their stuff. Right, but <laughs> on the other hand, look behind you. Yes. Right, but 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 the um, the, the thing is the thing is uh, Galadriel's desire is ultimately incompatible with Feanor's desire. Yeah. Right. Like like it's inevitable. The way this is being set up, that if things were to unfold sort of sort of naturally, that Galadriel and the Sons of Banner would end up in trouble. Mm -hmm. Right? So which would be a really good alternate history to write. Like if you just let it I mean if things if things didn't go so awry, it was only a matter of time before right, Fanor would, would want to take Galadriel's route. She then you have this right? now Fanor has tried to push on Galadriel before and failed, so I'm pretty sure how that would turn out, but yeah, Joseph. It's interesting that, like, you see the desires are incompatible, but they're both kind of advocating a type of colonialism, if you think yeah. about it. Except one of them wants to take things from the people, and the other one just wants to find somewhere where no one else is. Yeah, and, like, it, it's interesting to think of, like, well, Middle-earth is uninhabited, but there's already people there, right? I imagine to some point, Galadriel's ambition will have her butting heads with other kingdoms. Well, if that's, in fact, that happens almost immediately when the Noldor arrive and they discover mm -hmm. that, oh, Thingol's here. <laughs> and he's already got a kingdom. Well, this, because yeah. this is raises a question, like when Galadriel says a realm to rule, mm -hmm. what is she thinking in terms yeah, of a yeah, realm? Yeah. She's she can totally people, be. Yeah. Right? Like so who is, who is it that she's going to, you know what I mean? So that's a really interesting question. And how much do the Noldor, like how, how much are they, <laughs> are they aware of the current situation in Middle-earth, right? Uh, like, are they looking at it as in a colonial way? Like, mm -hmm. those people didn't come, therefore they must be 
in the dark, like they need us to come and rescue them from the right. That's where they're going to be so surprised to find out about Dory. Well, no, they didn't. These elves just didn't sit there doing nothing for <laughs> how many ages. Like they actually, you know, changed. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I was going to say. Like even if yeah, there's the difference that Gladriel wants to go and not necessarily start taking everything from everybody like Banor. Um, she still what she wants is a realm. Um, which means she wants to rule. It's 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 it, it is power that yeah. she wants. Which is yeah. really what you were saying, Sophia. How this Banor speech has really like it's dissipated. It's not the same, but it's kind of touched everybody's notions of. I mean, I would say freedom and power and all of this has been tinged by what Banor has, which comes from Morgoth. Yeah. Um, so it's she. In any case, even if she doesn't want to take land from people um, at the moment, what we have, what we hear is she she wants to she wants power. Yeah. Uh, Sophia? Just another question. Like, does this mean so like does this mean that Galadriel has people at this point? Does that mean that there's a subset of Finarfin's Noldor who are following Galadriel? Or who would follow Galadriel hypothetically? Or, or that she hopes like, she like to set up her own. Yeah. But are there people who would go with her? So. Which is also or, very Yeah, which is very interesting. Or she really is thinking that when she gets to Middle Earth, she's gonna gather people to rule. Could be another way of looking at it, which is also problematic. Yeah, it's unclear. Well, yeah, but she's, great. She's, she's an entrepreneur and just wants to do a little startup. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically yeah. how you would describe the Spanish conquest of Mexico, for example. The Spaniards arrived and they're like, "Hey, look at all these people that we can like uh, rule over." Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Nick. Well, what I like about this section is that it it shows that like not everyone were, were just like, kind of raving zealots that were like hanging on. Feanor's every word, like there, there are like everyone has their own like motivations. Everyone like and yes, for like the, they somewhat align with him and that they want to leave and kind of set up their own kingdoms. But it's not just everyone listening to his words and becoming you know like frothing in the mouth. Yes, we must purify the world or you know things like with that. Enough, like with enough desire and enough guilt to get them over the Helcaraxi. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like it's it's just like you know like you said, Tolkien's really good at showing not just one side like everyone sort of side where we see there are multiple personalities some people are only here because their friends and family are kind of there so they feel compelled to be with them for like mm -hmm. unity because you know like uh Finarfin initially goes because like he doesn't want to be separated from his people right you know that's sort of thing. like not everyone are just you know like hanging uh, disciples of fan or right you know there, there, there's a lot of kind of personalities and motivations going on here yeah uh sophia and then matthew I also really like, this is going ahead a bit, but I also yeah. really like um, Fingolfin and Finarfin's reasons for going along and how um, Fingolfin and Finarfin basically go along with Feanor because A, their kids are really into it, yeah. and uh, B, um, because they're worried about what would, like what's going to happen to their people. Like right. They know that Feanor doesn't give a shit about yeah. their people, so right. like, their people might be interested in what Feanor is doing. But they know that they're going to need someone to lead them sensibly, and that Feanor is not going to do that. So even though they don't want to go, they're going because like everyone they know is going, right. and they want to make sure that we're like not totally screwed over. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. It's just, it's almost like most people aren't going because of most of Feanor's reasons, right? Like they're interested, and they've got these lives more about going on. They want to go and have their own realm and have this freedom and everything. Most of them aren't going on this crazy rampage like Feanor is. 
But nevertheless, because of all of these little allegiances and things and all these good reasons, they get dragged into events like the Kinslang and, and all of it still. It's like this majority of people that aren't necessarily as twisted as Feyenoord and his sons are, but they're just getting pulled along by them anyways. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to say what sort of the general Noldor are thinking. Well, most of them want, there is the comment that most of them want, I think of Feyenoord, sorry, Fingolfin and not Fanor as their right, yeah, that's right. There's that spark with when Fanor says this, they're like, oh yeah, maybe we should go back to Middle Earth, but they don't want Fanor to be their king, right? right, right. So yeah, yeah, Sarah. It's also interesting that Fingolfin and Fanarfin eventually end up splitting the difference, right? So like Fingolfin goes along, he's very worried about his people because he's like, if I just let them all follow Fanor, bad things will happen, so I should go along and you know keep an eye on things, make sure (laughs) Fanor doesn't hurt everyone. Um, and Fnarfin goes along, but eventually Fnarfin turns around and takes some of those people back. Right. Um, so you only assume that that's not Fnarfin by himself making a choice that is his own. He's like, I'm not going to be associated with Fanor anymore, no matter what. We can only assume that there were other people who came to a point where they were like so adamant that they didn't want to be associated with Fanor that they left. Yeah. Um, and so eventually Fnarfin has enough in Fingolfin, that Fingolfin will look over all the people that he leaves with him, and he takes everyone else home. Um, and it's an interesting decision that they that they make later on, right? <laughs> Where Fingolfin's just like, I cannot do this anymore. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's just him. I think that he's probably got a large enough portion of his people that just reject what's been happening. Yeah. That he he takes and turns around and chooses to trust Fingolfin. Well, it's, it's quite a good king. yeah, and it's quite night like night. Like he returns and he's welcome. Like you know, there's there's a there's a uh, reconciliation that happens yeah. between them. And the he's he's married to Olway's daughter, correct? So so the people <laughs> who ships that just got burnt is mm-hmm. like right. that's his oh, wife's yeah. people. That's his wife's right. people. Right. right. So yeah, so that's yeah. why the youngest brother goes back. Kind right. of just yeah. yeah. To get that in your head, which is yeah. also which is also why. Um, so it's a. Tolkien went back and changed the Kinslaying so Galadriel fought on behalf of the Teleri. Yeah, right. Yeah, Sophia? Yeah, okay. In, in relation to this version of in, in the Kinslaying <laughs> followers, so like... In later um, drafts. So you have the information that at the rear went Finarfin and Finrod and many of the noblest and wisest of the Noldor. Um, and they're looking behind. So... Then later, you have the kinslaying, where like at first it's, so you have these different hosts, right? Um, and Finarfin and the most sensible people and Finrod are dead last. Yeah. Um, and then you have like Fingolfin's massive host in the middle, and then you have um, Fanor at the front. And yeah. so Fanor's host is the one that starts killing Teleri, yeah. and then Fingolfin's host comes up behind and thinks they're rescuing Fanor's right. host and gets involved. Presumably, Finarfin's host didn't even get there. Mm. So I think you have some, like, it's very unclear, but I think you have reasonably strong textual evidence that Finarfin and Finrod were not implicated in the kinslaying, or at least were not, like, I, I don't think they killed any Teleri. Like, they may have gotten there at the end and don't think they killed any Teleri. Um, on the other hand, Galadriel is a lot more unclear because Galadriel and Fingon were part of host, so Galadriel in this version could have fought against the 
Teleri in the Kingslaying. Yeah. Um, although we know that Tolkien changed it later. I think, um, yeah, and I think too yeah. one of the one of the um, when 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 it's revealed to Thingol, I think that also will shed light on who was involved because I think Finrod oh. is there when that revelation happens, oh, right? Okay. And so I don't I don't remember. I'd have to look ahead to see how Finrod because some like. There's there's both a sense of Finrod taking responsibility just by virtue of being Noldor, right? Yeah. Or is he or taking responsibility by virtue of him? You know, and I think it, maybe that's where it clears up a little bit at least, or maybe more foggy. So that's what I was going to say also was yeah. that Finrod and Galadriel, even though they're both kids of Finarfin, are here for really different reasons. Yeah. Finrod is here 100 percent out of friendship. Yeah. Galadriel is here because she wants to be a queen. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting when we get to that when that when that's finally revealed. Thingol and how they sort of negotiate that. Because Thingol, of course, you know, he's not happy over it. Yeah. yeah. The interesting things, um, now they've gotten to that, that, that point about how Fingolfin's host comes up on the kinsling and then kind of accidentally gets into it, um, accidentally gets involved in it, is I think, I don't know, it just kind of popped into my head that how much that goes back to the lies of Morgoth. That, that they arrive at this battle scene and their assumption is mm. that the Teleri have, at the will of the Valar, sought to, with arms, right. prevent them from leaving. Yeah. Um, and then they, they assume this, and then just jump into the fray because of that. Yeah. As opposed to, like, hold on, Feanor's going off the, off the rails right now. Maybe right. he started killing people. Yeah. Right? It's, right. Um, it's, it's interesting that their assumption is, like, oh, no, it must be the Valar trying to stop us from leaving, and the Teleri, for whatever reason, are involved in that. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Robert? Um, it's interesting that how, how many problems the hands-off policies of the Valar have been causing. Because if they hadn't, if they had gone to go visit Feanor to talk to him, this all would have played out differently than if you know they summoned him to their to their circle. If they had actively tried to counsel them, they would have known that they weren't holding them there because they had the power to hold them. They chose not to, but they never tell anybody what they're doing or what their process is. Yeah. Even though theoretically they're supposed to be equals in the mind of a Bumakai, they never they never treat them that way. It causes a lot of problems, and it gets worse obviously as they you know become more protectionist. Right, and we didn't talk about that, right? Uh, about Manway's decision to do nothing, right? Uh, and 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 the implications that that has. Right. Yeah, Sophia. Brief correction, um, but the vanguard of the Noldor were suffered by Fingon with the foremost of the host of Fingolfin, so it wasn't even. The entire host of Fingolfin. It was just the front part of the host uh, of Fingolfin. The king second. Yeah, that yeah. was even involved in the kinsling right. at all. Yeah. Like, and then and like that's how when the Teleri are overcome. Yeah. So the kinsling is over by the time the second half of Fingolfin's people and Finarfin even get there. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I was just right. gonna add to your correction. Um, so Finrod was in Fingolfin's host, but at the back, and with what you just said. That means like Finrod definitely didn't participate in this writing because he was still part of Fingolfin's host, but they didn't get there yet. Right. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, when it all comes out, I think Finrod still um, acknowledges responsibility for it. Okay. Right. Which again, because everybody knows Finrod, right? <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, we got a couple pieces left, which we may not get to all of it today, but we should at least do the conversation between Feanor and Olwe. 
which is so good. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so Fano arrives. He, he realizes Fano realizes that they're not going to be able to walk, and so he says, "Oh, we'll go get the ships." Um, and then, so he gives one of his speeches, which we're not given in this version, uh, but he apparently he tries to persuade them. Uh, but the Teleri were unmoved by aught that he could say. They were grieved indeed at the going of their kinsfolk and long friends, but would rather dissuade them than aid them. And no ship would they lend, nor help in the building against the will of the valley. As for themselves, they desire now no other home but the strands of Albemarle, and of no lord than Olway, prince of Alqualande. And he had never lent ear to Morgoth, nor welcomed him to his land. And he trusted still that Ulmo and the other great among the valor would redress the herds of Morgoth, and that the night would pass yet to a new dawn. So that already is interesting, right? That he still, they still are putting their trust in the valor. Right? Then Fanor grew wrathful, for still, he still feared delay, and hotly he spoke to Alway. Sophia, do you want to read another speech of Fanor? <laughs> sure, why not? You renounce your friendship even in the hour of our need, yet you were glad indeed to receive our aid when you came at last to these shores, faint-hearted loiterers, and well-nigh empty-handed. In huts on the beaches would you be dwelling still, had not the Noldor carried out your haven and toiled upon your walls. So, so Fanor's just getting worse. Like, he's not even, he's he's not even more of a jerk. Yeah, and he's not awesome. even persuasive at this point. It actually reminds me of uh, Saruman talking about romance. Of the yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Starts off all subtle. And yeah, and now it's not even you know. Um, and and obviously, you like, guys. obviously that speech is not meant to be persuasive. It's <laughs> dominant, right? And it doesn't and it doesn't work because of that, right? Yeah. So always speech. Someone want to read always speech? Well, so good. We renounce no friendship, but it may be the part of a friend to rebuke a friend's folly. And when the Nolor welcomed us and gave us aid. Otherwise, then you spoke. In the land of Amman, we were to dwell forever, as brothers whose houses stand side by side. But as for our white ships, those you gave us not. We learned not that craft from the Noldor, but from the lords of the sea. And the white timbers we wrought with our own hands, and the white sails were woven by our wives and daughters. Therefore, we will neither give them nor sell them for any league or friendship. For I say to you, Feanor, son of Finway, these are to us as are the gems of the Noldor, the work of our hearts, whose like we shall not make again. Yes, Matthew. Well, uh, notice this time it's, it's interesting that it, you go from, these are just like those gems are to you, and you get no sympathy whatsoever from, from Feanor. It's immediately like, hmm, how might I take them? When this whole thing is supposed to be because somebody did that to him. Right, he's launching this 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 conquest for vengeance because someone took the Silmarils. Yeah, always says these ships are like this, your Silmarils to us, and he goes, "Oh, I'll take one then." Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew. I agree. Yeah. I mean, Joseph. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, yeah, like one thing that you always see characterized in like fall narratives is this loss of empathy. Mm. And it's yeah. it's sort of like this this herald of like the worst possible things that humans are able to do, and it's sort of like the major part. You no longer become able to communicate in like an effective way to other people, yeah. and you see that so totally in Feanor at this point. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can appeal via empathy to him, yeah. and that's why like a big reason why he would be perceived as a sociopath. Yeah. 
One, and the other thing I noticed too, like, like so right after Ole's speech, right, thereupon Fanner left him and sat in dark thought, right? And this, he's always, dark is now becoming more and more associated with Fanner, right? Like when uh, he's asked to give up the, the, uh, the Silmarils, um, he also uh, broods in darkness. Uh, where is that? Anyway, anyway, I'll just find it. But anyway, so he's becoming associated with the dark, mm -hmm. right? More and more as this goes on. Yeah, Sarah? Just, it's such a funny picture, this interaction for me, because you know when you've got, you know, you know those people who can just keep their cool under like any circumstance? Yeah. Um, and like, Fanor's just losing it, right? Yeah. He's in his room right. yelling oh, at him. Yes. And always just like, yeah. We're not, we're not turning our backs on you, but also, you have to listen to me. And Fanor's like, no! Yeah, it's right. like, <laughs> really good. Right? If, if I love only in this moment. If you were a friend, you would help us. As a friend, I'm telling you, you need help. Right. <laughs> You're being a dick fan. He's just got all the chill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And okay, I'm gonna. Waiting I'm gonna. For yeah. to run well, it's impressive down. because we've just watched Fanor and like interact with people like Fingolfin. Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm gonna get political here, and I apologize. <laughs> we can edit it. Out. We can edit it out of the out of the <laughs> podcast, right? But but this but this oh, this is so dangerous to say but I'm going to say it right this this language of sort of um, of of, uh, uh, the, of of sort of unqualified support for a certain uh, democratic country in the Middle East right despite the fact that this democratic country is in my opinion doing a lot of damage to its neighbors but it's always like no they're our friend. Right? And so we're never going to undermine our friend. And I always think of Olway here saying, you know what? A true friend is someone who can tell their friend, hey, stop being an asshole. Right? But that, but we're like, no, no, like we just don't, we, we just refuse to do that. Right? And that's so frustrating. So I like Olway here. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Um, I just was vague enough that nobody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyone who's going to get it, it's okay if they get it. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we actually, if we added a few words, it might, might not be <laughs> yeah, specific. Um, just, just a couple. But um, this goes actually back a, a couple minutes, a couple minutes to what when you said about him brooding in dark thought. Yeah. One of the things, just to get like specific with the text, that I thought was really interesting is we do we get no description of then Fanor went and considered whether he or not he should take the ships by force. It's like he went and brewed thought, and when he gauged that his strength was enough, like it's just. <laughs> It's right. almost like so how, do, how do I break yeah. away? We're not, yeah. gonna <laughs> our, we're not going to give you our ships instantly. Right. Hmm. I wonder if I can. Like, I, I think I can right. take them. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think I can take him. That exact thing. It's like he's he's not sitting there to try and see what this is the best. Maybe I am a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's psyching himself up. Yes. Exactly. He's sitting there like we are strong enough. We can attack the right. artillery, and then he does it. Waiting yeah. until enough people yeah. come. Yeah. All right. We're good. Yeah. There's no should we do it. Yes, it's right. That's what we do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a yeah, Has anyone here seen Battlefield Earth, the film? Yes. Oh, I'm just God. the Turl speech from Battlefield Earth is like I just so hear this ago. speech by Feanor and I think like Turl from Battlefield Earth and like I was conquering planets like that's so John Travolta like completely yeah. hamming it up. It's right. great. That's so good. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I'm convinced that the idea of taking ships entered into Feanor. It wasn't just one yeah. talk. Like, yeah, if you right. look at Feanor's speech, this isn't the type of stuff you come up with on the spot. Um, yeah. 
to take exactly what happened and then twist it. Like clearly this was going on in his mind for months, yeah. years. Like this idea of how much the Teleri owe us, um, how much we how we're superior to the Teleri, this has to be a feeling coming back from years, I bet, from Melkor being like, Oh man, remember that when you made that city for the Teleri? They and just one. getting that idea in his head again. Like Well he does he does he come up with it here. Right? Mm-hmm. Like 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 um, Right, he says, uh, but as the mind of Fainar cooled and took counsel, he perceived overlate that all these great companies would never overcome the long leaks to the north, nor cross the seas at the last safety yeah. of the ships. Yeah. Yet it would need long time and toil to build so great a fleet. He resolved now, therefore, to persuade the Teleri ever friend. So it is in that moment that, that he, but it's still, um, like, so it's interesting how, at least in this word, at this point, He's still thinking persuasion, right? Except then he comes up with this terrible speech, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to persuade them. And from the time it took that thought to enter his head to him to walk down to the beach, right? He's already moved past the persuasion of just, hey, you people are totally useless and nothing and worthless. Therefore, you should give us your gifts because we're better than you, right? (laughs) So, yeah. It's almost like, on one hand, he's kind of like, Hoping that they'll just say yes, because then he'll have allies against Morgoth and take the ships, and everything will be great. But at the same time, you can tell that straight off from the beginning, um, he's not discounting the fact that he might just have to walk to sail off of the ships, right? There's no, there's, I don't think there's any sense in him that he's like, man, I really hope they agree because it would suck to have to attack them and take their ships. He doesn't care. All he wants are allies. So it would be great if they were his allies, but like you can tell, I think you're right, from the beginning that I don't think the first thing he thought when he thought, man, the Teleri have ships, are, man, the Teleri would be good allies. I think the first thing he thought were, we could take those. Right, yeah. 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 Uh, Okay, Jordan, you're off. What's our time here? Okay, so uh, we're going to have to... Uh, Robert, you... Yeah, I just wanted to, to mention something yeah. that's kind of relevant to the whole chapter. It's interesting how Feanor has always been described in relation to fire the whole time, but during this last bit, as he descends, all the darkness, dark thought, and brooding thought, yeah. there's no more mention of this fire. It's true. It's like when he made the choice not to give it to Silmarils, he lost that, yeah. that virtue. Nice. Yeah, 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 and the language of like dark and brooding thought too is very similar to how um, Morgoth is always described, kind of right. brooding in his dark thoughts yep. in the deepest dungeon. Yeah, he's very much a Morgoth. Like, 